book of Acts, as we continue. You know, you know, you know one thing I was thinking, too, guys, I, I'm just kind of sharing. I'll, I'll be open to share my heart. I, I want to be sure that we are, are teaching through the scriptures, and obviously we apply the scriptures, and when, they're, when it's necessary or when it's, when it's appropriate, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what I'm experiencing, even as I have been for the last couple of years, you know, been open with you. You know, but um, one thing I want to be careful that I don't do is, and, and I, was, I was talking with Pastor Chuck Woolley, who, you know, his wife, uh, Wanda, went to be with the Lord about four years ago or so. And I shared with him, I was taking last week off. He said, that's wise. You know, one thing you don't want to do is a service to turn into you talking about your wife, you know. And, you know, and I, and I don't. I, I will if it's, if it's uh, appropriate, and I'm going to try to keep it at a minimum. Because we're going to be having a memorial service for her on uh, July 22nd down at Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley. Um, I don't want to be doing a memorial service for every Sunday. You know what I mean? But I'm not going to forget her either. So I, I just want to kind of share that with you. Uh, share that with you. And by the way, um, you might notice I'm, I'm wearing a bracelet that I haven't worn for quite some time. This this gold bracelet. This is was. This was a gift from her. Um, years ago, we bought it at Hawaii. She, we, we saw it. She asked if I liked it. She bought it for me. Well, guys, you know how that is. It's really you buying it for yourself, but it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we were together. In, anyway, I wore it for a while, then I stopped because, I mean, it's a nice bracelet. It's solid gold, you know, worth a few hundred bucks and stuff like that. And I thought, you know. Should I, as a pastor, I don't want to be like one of these Channel 40 guys, you know. <laughs> you know, so I stopped, I stopped wearing it because I, I didn't want to give a wrong perception. But because it's from my wife, and to be honest with you, I didn't really know where it was for a while. But um, uh, we were looking through her jewelry the other day, and this was in there. And I thought, I'm just going to start wearing it again, you know, because it was from her. So I hope you appreciate that and understand that. You know, another thing that I've done, I, I wear a necklace regularly. It's a Star of David with a cross in the middle of it. I, I put on it my wife's uh, engagement ring that I gave to her. It's hanging there as well. So I'm putting it right under here, nice and close to my heart because that's where she is. You know, so those are some of the things I'm doing, you know, and I'm just being open with you about those kinds of things. But uh, we're in a different journey now, you know, and a new season of life for myself and uh, for you guys too because well you're part of this as our family as our church family but also as a recipient of what God is doing in my heart through all this it'll flow through as the teachings come and perfectly we all will be the better for it father we thank you for your word we thank you for your truth we thank you for the promises that you've made to us. We thank you for your, your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And now, Lord, we want to get into your word as you speak to our hearts today. Have your way in us. We pray that you'll continue to mold us and make us into the image of your son. That's our desire. And we understand that your word, our ministry toward one another, the events that we go through, the, the, the trials that we have, the, 
the joys that we experience, all of it is a part of your work in us as we are uh, your workmanship that you are, are uh, creating for the purpose of serving you and bringing glory to you. So continue that work, we pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. What's that? <laughs> Thank you for helping me. Chapter 20, verse 1. You guys knew we were there, right? We finished 19 a couple weeks ago. Man. Now, you guys don't know what my notes say, so I don't know what's going to happen there. Anyway, let's read verses 1 through 6. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he'd gone through over that region, after he'd gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed there three months. And, then, and when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater, the of Berea, accompanied him to Asia. Also, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men, going ahead, waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. You guys may be seated. You guys will remember as we were in chapter 19, closing that, that out a couple weeks ago, that we saw the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. And as we see here in verse 1 of chapter 20, there was an uproar. And you guys will remember that because of Paul's ministry there, being there uh, for a period of a total of three years in Ephesus, establishing the church and then leaving the church in the hands of the leadership that was there, uh, we do know that uh, uh, there was a time when Timothy took over that church, not quite yet, but he would later, uh, that, that church in Ephesus. But he, he left after that uproar that was caused by the reality of teaching the word of God, bringing the gospel, hearts turning to, to Christ, turning to God, away from the, the idols, away from the uh, uh, worship of false gods, and they gathered together and burned their books. They, 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 they burned the magic books and so forth from these false gods and so forth. And, and those who were in the profession of uh, um, making the idols that would be set up in the homes and worshipped by these people, they, they, sales went down. You know, the, the market was greatly decreased because they w began to worship the one and true living God, right? And so that's what caused the uproar and so forth. So, but we see here in this first verse that the uproar ceased. It came to an end. And, and one of the things that causes me to see is the reality that 
the difficult times in life, the uproars that we go through in life, not that we might be part of a riot or something like this, but our lives can sometimes seem kind of riotous, if you will, stormy, the storms of life, right? It all passes. It all passes. It ceases. This too shall pass are our words that we will share with each other. And while we're in the midst of it, it seems like it won't. But it does. It does. I, I have experienced that in the last couple of weeks. You know, the, the, the storm of the illness of my, of my wife, and now I'm going through the storm of her absence. That will never stop to some degree, but I know that the pain will decrease as we move forward. You know, but this too shall pass. You know, there are seasons of life. It reminds me of what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In the very first verse as he introduces this passage, he says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And then the first words after that, there's a time to be born and a time to die. It's in the second verse. And then he goes on and for those, through those first eight verses lists a number of things. And, and, and the things that we experience are just simply a natural part of life. Now, I think we need to make sure that we understand that this isn't the world that God created. He did not intend it this way. He didn't intend for us to experience the difficulties and the pains of life. But when sin entered into the world, that's what takes place. So it's normal, not because God created it this way, but because there is sin in the world, because there is sickness, because there is death, because there are difficulties, because there are sinful hearts around us, and decisions are made that bring pain to us, right? Because of sin. It's all because of sin. That's why there's pain. You can't get away from that. But even then, this too shall pass. There is indeed a new world coming for us. For those of us who place our faith in Christ, of course, we're going to be with him, even as my honey's with him now. You know, And one of, one of the things that keeps me going, it really does, is you know, it, it's, it, it, it's just like what, um, what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He said that, that, we, that, that we are not as others who sorrow without hope. We sorrow with hope. You know, and part of my hope and, 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 and my joy really is I just keep imagining my, my honey's face. You know how big and bright her smile always has been. You know, how bigger and brighter was it? How did she light up when she first saw her Lord and her Savior Jesus. That's what I think about. But that's reality for each one of us who place our faith in him. That's the hope that we have. And so, there is, we, we live a life that, that is filled with seasons. Uh, one of the things that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he wrote, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
And so regardless, it doesn't matter how much suffering we do in this world, it cannot be compared. And Paul knew suffering, didn't he? He understood it. He understood it. He experienced it. Much more than any of us will. Not worthy to be even compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us in our future. The Apostle Peter wrote in his first letter, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Do we get that? Do we understand that? As if some strange thing. It's not like life isn't supposed to be this way. Not, not purposed by God in his original intent. But when sin entered the world, this is what we experience. We all do. It's not a strange thing. And bottom line is, either we go through it with Christ, or we go through it without him. That's our choice. It truly is. We can't get away from the effects of sin in this world. But then, then he continues to write in verse 13, Peter does, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And guys, there are times, I, I think there are just simply too many people within the church who simply don't embrace that truth. Because it really gives us strength when we understand the truth of it. It gives us strength in the sense that we know we're that, that we're not experiencing something that, that, that isn't normal. We, we, begin, we experience these things, and some of us can have the habit of just being so self-focused, we do this woe is me thing, you know, as if we're being singled out for some reason. No, we're not being singled out. Now, is the devil after you? Yeah. Does he want to destroy you? Yeah. He is characterized as the thief. Jesus speaks about it in John chapter 10. The thief who comes to seek and to kill and to destroy. That's his purpose. But we also see in 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I'm, I'm messing Cassie up a little bit, or whoever's doing the notes, because I'm doing them out of order right now. I've got that a little bit later, but it came to my mind now. Sorry, girls. But we, we, we see the reality of that. We see the reality of that. But we do suffer. We need to be aware of the way that this world is. You know, we, we've been warned in the scriptures about these things. We need to take heed to the warning. And there are warnings all around our, us in our lives, aren't there? Aren't we? Aren't there? You, know, you watch TV and one of those drug commercials comes on and the last half of it is the warnings about taking this particular drug. You know? And it's like, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you can't understand it. But, one, but you do catch the phrase, may cause death. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, why would I want to take that? Anyway, warnings, warning signs all around us. I mean, you're, you're driving on the freeway, there's a warning sign about construction ahead or detour ahead or something. You know, I mean, warning that we will take heed of 
but why is it that we don't take heed of the spiritual warnings in God's word? Because we don't really actually see it. You know, we are in warfare, aren't we? Jesus warned us, John 15, 19. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. People around you who are driven out of carnality and not knowing that Satan is the God of this age who wants to destroy them and everyone, really doing his bidding unconsciously, but actually doing, you know what I mean? You know, I mean, I, before I came to Christ, I never would have said I'm doing the devil's work. But I know that I was used by him. I was going to say a time or two, much more than that. I mean, that, that's just the, the nature of life in this world. Even as Christians, we can be used by him if we don't stay focused on our Lord Jesus, right? I mean, that can indeed happen. And people in this world don't understand it because people don't want to acknowledge the reality of these spiritual truths because if they do, then they have to give up the pleasures in their life that they have been pursuing all their lives. But our prayer is that the Lord will indeed grab their hearts just as he has grabbed ours, isn't it? That's our desire. Jesus also said in John 17, verses 14 to 19, I have given them your word. Now this is Jesus praying in this high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Uh, I have given them your word, as he speaks to the Father. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. He's praying for his apostles right now. Just as I am not of the world, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now, in the same way, this is something that's important about this particular passage. In the same way, there is this spiritual warfare. There is the spiritual warfare. And in the same way that the Father sent the Son into the world, so Jesus sent his apostles into the world. And he sends us into the world as well. We are apostles also, not in the same sense that those 12 men were. But we are sent out into the world by our God to do his work, aren't we? And there is warfare. We are at war and as we are sent into the world to do his work, because of the nature of this spiritual warfare, it's as if we are being sent behind enemy lines to work for him, to serve him, to be his ambassadors in a place that we don't belong. Because our citizenship is in heaven, right? I mean, that, that, that's what we're looking at here. That, that's what we're a part of. 
You know, and, and, and really, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, we never signed up for it, but just being born into this world means that we become a part of this warfare. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. When we, came, when we said yes to Jesus, I know when I said yes to Jesus, I didn't realize this. And I take it that every one of you the same way. I knew I needed him in order to live eternally with him. I needed the forgiveness of sins. I wanted that. I needed that. I did not know that I was signing up for warfare. Read the part of it already. I just switched sides at that point. But as much as we believe and understand that there is warfare, let us also understand that even as Jesus has prayed for those that he sends out, not a part of this world, not of this world, even as he was not of this world, but in it, in it, but not of it, as we know. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Thank, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. You and I are set apart for God through his word. And if we want to be protected in this warfare, we can only be set apart by the reality of the work that God does in us through his truth. His truth sets us apart. And he will set us apart through his word. He will do that. He prayed that that would happen. You guys believe that you are set apart by God through his truth? And being set apart by him, that means there's a level of protection by him in that, isn't there? Very important for us to understand. Ephesians 6, we, can't, we don't have time to get into that, but we see at the, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, we see the, the, the armor of God that we are to put on in this warfare, right? And our offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We cannot survive spiritually without the word of God. We see in verse 1 also that that um, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples in Ephesus there together, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, some translations, of course, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, some translations speak of how he, he, he departed from them and encouraged them. But this, this word embrace and encourage, they, they, they kind of go together. And... Um, the encouragement was such that there was an emotional aspect to it, and so the embracing takes place. You know, I mean, you know, uh, later on in chapter, in, in this chapter, we're going to see uh, um, Paul saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. He's he's going to be uh, sailing by uh, uh, Ephesus. Really, he doesn't want to go there because of the time factor. But he called the elders to meet him in Miletus, and then he speaks to them at the end of it all. It tells us that, that he, he, he hugged their necks and so forth. They, they embraced their, I'm sure the same thing took place. So the word embrace is not out of place. It's just a part of the encouragement that he gave. But he did indeed give encouragement. And, and this is an example of his love for the people in the church there in Ephesus. He'd been there with, for, 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 for three years. 
Now, some of you I've been with for maybe three years, maybe five or ten. Some of you for about 30. Imagine my love for you. And I know your love for me as well. That's what happens within a church, love for one another. But the Apostle Paul had that love and care for these people. But effectiveness in our service to others, effectiveness in ministry for any of us, whatever our ministry is, it begins with love for God, love for his word, and love for his people. If we're going to love his people, we must first be loving God, and we must love his word as well. The, the, the greatest two commandments, right? Love God, number one, and love people. And if we don't love people within the context of our love for God, first and foremost, and his word, our love for people is going to miss the mark. It's going to be misguided. In Matthew 22, 36 to 40, we see that passage in which he gives that those two greatest commandments. Verse 36, uh, one of the uh, listeners, um, a, a, um, one of the lawyers, he said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And, you know, I just love the imagery that's there. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And it was demonstrated for us as Jesus went to that cross, isn't it? But we will also, as we love people, there is sacrifice that is necessary if we're truly going to love. But I love that. And notice that, I mean, there's not a third commandment, love yourself. Like some people will say, well, you got to love yourself before you love other people. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. That's what many people think. And they insert that twisting the scriptures, don't they? Love God and love people. That's what Jesus is saying. We already have a natural love of self, which is a part of our sin nature, self-protection. We love ourselves in the same way you already love yourselves, love your neighbor instead. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. And you guys, from what I see, as I look at the world around me, look at the church, the failure to love God first and then loving people around, uh, around them within the church, certain portions of the church, I need to say, um, caused, the, caused the church in these particular places to... Um, Ignore some basic Bible truths. I think this is behind the, the church recognizing the homosexual lifestyle as one that is acceptable by God. And, and I really do think that there is a genuine love for people involved in this. I, I really do. But because of a failure to love God first, 
it has caused their love for these people to be misguided. And this misguidance is basically telling them, you know, it's okay, you can do that, God accepts you, which is not true. And love for those people should involve a call to repentance from their sin. Even as every one of us, whatever our sin has been in the past, and there be, may be some who have de been delivered by God from the sin of homosexuality among us today. Certainly there are plenty within the church. Along with the rest of us who have been delivered from other sins, whether it, it is a sin of, of, of violence, a, a sin of drug addiction, a sin of drug drunkenness, a, a, a sin of lying, a sin of whatever whatever it may be. I mean, there are lists involved with this, the, the lust of the flesh, right? The works of the flesh and, and so forth. You know, God delivers us from these sins, whatever it may be. And, and one of those sins is heterosexual promiscuity. And as you've heard me mention many, many times before, the church historically has done a very poor job in ministering to the homosexual community the way that the Lord would have us do so. And there are sections within the church. Uh, many of you have heard of Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas. They're the ones that will go out with a sign saying, God hates fags. That's why the church gets the wrong image. That just simply means that we must work harder at loving those who are misguided, loving those who have been lied to. And there's so much deception in this world, and everyone who remains in his or her sin is, has been somehow deceived in this world, which is headed by Satan, ruled by Satan, who wants to destroy each and every one of us, and he's doing a great job at destroying those who are caught in whatever sin that they are, keeping them away from looking to God for salvation and living a repentant lifestyle. Now, repentance doesn't save you. Jesus does. So we can't go around saying, you got to change. No, we've got to go around saying, Jesus loves you. You need him. Just like I do. And in our own honestly, honesty and humility, maybe sharing them with them the sin that we or the sins that we have been delivered from, whatever it may have been. There is no sin that is different in the sense of bringing separation between us and God. And so we, we, need, we need to be very, very aware of that. I quoted from John 10, verse 10 already. The thief comes to seek and to kill and destroy. The rest of that verse says this, I have come. The thief comes to do that. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. What a contrast. What a contrast. And John 8, 44, in the second part of that, we see these words. Speaking of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Anything that the world brings to you, 
in terms of spirituality is a lie. Anything that is not contained in the word of God is a spiritual lie. It's a lie devised to eternally destroy those that would be deceived through those lying doctrines. Right? You guys see that? You agree with that? that? That's exactly what we see here. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, as I shared already. And so we're, 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 we're safe with that. We're good with that. Also, we see here, still in this first verse, we're still in verse 1, guys. He brings the encouragement. And, and, and we're going to see it also in, in chapter 20. We see that there in the first verse, embraced or encouraged in some of your translations, if you don't have the New King James or the King James. Um, we see in the second verse when he had gone over that region after he left from um, Ephesus, going through the area. We'll talk about this in, in just a moment. But he encouraged them with many words, and then he came to Greece, which really is the southern part of, of Greece. Macedonia is in the north, as we talked about, Achaia in the south, and the two major cities in the south are Corinth, uh, and, and Athens, Corinth being the major city at that point. And so he went to Corinth after that. But he encouraged them. In his love for them, he was faithful to continue to encourage them in that courage, encouragement and exhortation, that's a part of it as well, comes through the word of God. In my office, I have a lithograph that's uh, uh, showing a shepherd with a staff, with a little lamb at his feet, and just several feet away, a couple of wolves. And the shepherd is doing a stare down with the wolves. And the, 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 the message is clear. Doesn't that bless you to know that that's real? One of the things with the wolves is that we see in the church there are wolves in sheep's clothing. That's why we need to stay in God's word. Because the wolves that are in sheep's clothing, pretending to be sheep, deceiving others to make them think they are sheep, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And this is all part of the warfare. And in every war, there's a lot of deception that goes on. It's called strategy. Deception is a part, a major part of strategy. Strategic moves in warfare. And it's not different in spiritual warfare, right? So there's deception. There are lies that are told. But the shepherd protects us from those lies. And I, as your pastor, as a shepherd, I protect you through giving you the word of God. That's the best way I can love you, is by accurately teaching the word of God. 
because in God's word, that's where we find hope. That's where we find truth. That's where we find Christ. That's where we find his help and everything that he brings, protection being a part of that. And that's what every true shepherd will do. Whether it is a pastor of a church or, for example, a husband and father in the home. There's a pastoral role, a shepherding role, a protective role. So one of the, one of the things that, that men, part of a man's DNA is that he is there to protect others around him. Women aren't like that. Now, true, there, there are women who, I mean, all of you who are moms, you know, the mama bear can come out. But there's a, there's a nurturing aspect to that primarily, but it does include protection. But it, it is men who have it really in our DNA, DNA to do what we need to do to stand and fight the battle to protect our wives and our children. And, you know, I, I'm, I can get too far with that. I mean, our, our, our culture ha- has messed up the roles of men and women so badly to this point. No wonder our culture is so confused and so messed up. You know, I mean, you would think that, yeah, genders are assigned at birth. That's right. And they really are. Our culture has strayed so far from that. And for decades, our culture has been bashing men, making them to seem weaker than we really are. And we've got our struggles, we've got our weaknesses, that's for sure, but we cannot deny what we are as created by God. And a woman cannot deny what she is as created by God. We've got our roles based upon the genetic makeup of who and what we are. And the roles are biblically defined. And if we don't want to accept that, then our culture goes crazy. And that's what's happened. That's what's happened with our culture. But through the word of God, we are equipped to do his work. We see in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, and he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And part of what God has done with me is that he's given, he's given me as a gift to you. I don't say that proudly in the sense of being puffed up about being a gift. We all are a gift to each other in the sense of as we operate and function with the gifts that he's given to us, We minister to one another in such a way that we're all better for it. So we're gifts to one another, certainly. I mean, my wife was a tremendous gift to this church in in, in her being with us for the period that she was. With with you women, you have benefited greatly through her ministry to you. And those of you who are husbands, you have too. Because to the degree that your wife became a better wife because they received teaching from my wife about that, You've been blessed because of it. That, that's how it works. That's how this works within the church of Jesus Christ. It's, it's wonderful. But God has given us to each other to minister to each other at, with, with the gifts that he's given us to do that ministry. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. A part of what 
Paul is talking about. And by the way, 1 Corinthians was written from Ephesus. I've shared that with you in the past. He said, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I delivered to you, you received what I also received. I received it from Christ, you received it from him through me. Basically is what he's saying. And just a very quick gospel message. All of it according to the scriptures. All of it according to the scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so as we receive the word of God in our own studies, as we share with one another, uh, uh, from, from me, from this pulpit, pulpit you know, it's, it, it, it is something that God does in us to, to equip us, to change us, to make us able, equipping us for the work of ministry. My ministry is to give you the word. Your ministry is to serve each other. Even as right now, we have several people who are ministering to the children, ministering to you as well, freeing you up so that you can be here being fed from the pulpit. Their ministry is to you. you know, so th that, that's how this is. By the way, our children's ministry is growing, and we need more servants. So just a thought, just planning that there, uh, because we, can, we, we do indeed uh, need more help more servants in that ministry. And so Paul left from Ephesus. As we read the various letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians in particular, we, we, we do see that he went up to Troas. He was waiting there in Troas for Titus because he had sent Titus to Corinth, concerned for what's going on there because there had been one letter that was written. There actually... Uh, from putting all these letters together, it does seem that there were actually four letters that were written to the Corinthians, two that we have, uh, two others that we just simply don't have the manuscript for. And But there is reference to those letters in 2 Corinthians in particular, uh, one of those missing letters being a letter that, that Paul had written um, out of his concern, and it was a tearful letter or a, letter, a sorrowful letter, he, he, he would call it, and, and he was, because he had heard from the Corinthians, and we see this in the letter to, in, in 1 Corinthians, which was a corrective letter, but also th there was confusion about what's going on. There were enemies that Paul had, and he was he, he, getting word that, that many in the church who had, many who were within the church were listening to the enemies of Paul and believing them. So he's concerned about that. So he sent Titus there to check it out and see what was really going on. Uh, he didn't come to Troas, and so, Troas, uh, so, so Paul just went on to Macedonia, and he, wind, he did wind up meeting him there. And we see in 2 Corinthians, that in the letter that he wrote, that he's encouraged by what he heard from, from Titus. But by the time Paul ministers in Troas and the surrounding area, the churches that were there, 
sailing across to Macedonia, probably to Philippi, and, and the churches that are there, hearing the word from Titus, finally leaving Macedonia to go down to Achaia, it could be that 18 months or so went by. I mean, we, we miss all that by just reading this particular verse. But those are the, those are the things that, that, that likely took place at that particular point in time. We're going to read in a few minutes a little bit of what, what Paul actually wrote to the uh, Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. So as he goes to, to Macedonia, again, probably landed at Philippi and, and, and ministered in the churches that were around there, Thessalonica, Berea, Lystra, and, and so forth. I mean, um, uh, some of those churches we, 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 we see there um, in, in that particular area. Um, let, let's make sure that we understand that, that that was a period of time. Um, as I mentioned, Titus finally joined him. One, one thing that he wrote in 2 Corinthians, and I just want to give this to you. I mentioned this, this cheerful or sorrowful letter. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 to 10, he writes this. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. In other words, I'm glad you felt bad. That's really what he's saying. Now, for a while I wasn't. But now looking back, I am. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So here in this passage, in terms of sorrow, and again, I think this is going back to what I shared about people being misguided by their love for people. Generally, in our love for people, we don't want to make them feel bad. But all of us who are, who, who are parents, you know, I got my kids upset with me plenty of times. But because I understood my role, my, my precious wife, their mama, and I, we understood our roles as parents, and being guided biblically, we didn't mind that they were upset with us because we, we saw the big picture. Discipline was necessary. And every 13-year-old who gets disciplined doesn't think it's fair. Not at the moment. Now, maybe later, and sometimes it's years later, they'll come back and say, you know, you know, Dad, you know, Mom, I'm, I'm so glad you did that with me. I, I see now. I didn't see then. But, I, you know, I mean, just the reality of it. And the same spiritually. When you or I are convicted of our sin by the Holy Spirit, the initial emotional response isn't, boy, that feels good. You know what I mean? Now, we will see why God needs to do that. 
but there is a natural sorrow that comes, but, but it's not necessarily bad. But there's a worldly sorrow that takes them in such a way, man, I got busted, man, and I, I got to figure out a better way to do this so I can get away with it. Not being sorrowful for the sin. Not being far, you know what I mean? That's the difference between a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to life or salvation, as opposed to a worldly sorrow that just leads to death. You know, and, and I, I think that's important to see. And we've got to allow the word of God to do its work, the Holy Spirit to do its work, to give people the truth in a loving, sensitive way, but not beating around the bush so much that they miss the truth. The truth has to be given. The truth will, be will, will bring conviction, which will make a person somewhat sorrowful, at least for a while. Yet it leads to repentance, which leads to life. Amen? We need to be sure that we do that. Now, when Paul was at, at Corinth, we see that he wrote the book to the church in Rome. And as he did so, I, I read for you a, a passage last week uh, out of chapter uh, 15 that related to the offering that he was carrying to Jerusalem. But after he got there, he wanted to go to, to, to Rome and visit with the church there. And then from there, he wanted to go to Spain. Remember? That's what he had said there in Rome. So that was a part of, of, of what he said in Romans. And, and Romans being an incredible book that gives us so much doctrine. You know, uh, um, it's an important book to begin to understand. We see here in verse 3 that he stayed in Corinth for a period of three months. Stayed there in, 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 in Achaia, probably Corinth. And this was probably during the winter months because it's just difficult to travel. So he was there during that time, and, and he, he was ministering while there. But the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria. So springtime came, the time where you can begin to make to travel again across the Aegean Sea there uh, toward, uh, toward Ephesus, but he would be landing at Troas or maybe some other port. Uh, and he understood, he found out there was a plot against him. So rather than getting on the ship, he decided to go up through Macedonia and go that way uh, so that he wasn't there. Then in verse 4, um, Sopater of Berea was with him. He's from Asia. Aristarchus and Segundus of, of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby and Timothy, Tychicus and Tropimus of Asia. All these men went ahead and got on that ship. They went to Troas. Uh, they're north of Ephesus, uh, uh, one of the ports from Ephesus. And they waited for them to arrive, waited for Paul. Notice this, verse 5, waited for us. We see that Luke joins him again. So probably in Philippi is where he joined them. He had remained there in Philippi for a while, and then he joined him and was on the ship, perhaps with other men also, but certainly Luke was with Paul at that point, and they went to Troas and met them. And verse 6 tells us, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now, these men mentioned in verse 4, these were representatives of the churches that had given 
these donations for the church in Jerusalem, which we talked about last week, they, they or two weeks ago, uh, you know, the, the church was, was poor because people were losing their jobs, because they were coming to Christ, you know, and, and all these things were taking place. And so uh, th- these men basically were representing the churches. They were there for Paul's protection as well. They were sharing a lot of money with them to take to Jerusalem. But they also were able to personally deliver these funds to the church there and show the love that these Gentile churches had for their Jewish brethren. And just a blessing to see all that. We see these men in other passages of Scripture as well. For example, 1 Corinthians 1.14, Paul wrote, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Gaius from Corinth, of course, we see there. Uh, we also see uh, in Ephesians 6.21 in terms of uh, Tychicus himself. Uh, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, my beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. Tychicus took the letter to the Ephesians, carried it to them for the Apostle Paul. He ministered to um, the Apostle Paul a great deal. Trophimus as well. And he was a Greek from Ephesus. Acts 21-29, we'll get to that in, in, in future weeks. Uh, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, so we, he's identified there as from Ephesus, with him in the city uh, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. We'll get to that uh, later. And so these men ministering to the Apostle Paul. Now, even though I mentioned that one of those letters written, uh, 2 Corinthians, they mention of a previous letter and the sorrowful and nature uh, I sorrowful nature of that letter, and I wrote a passage dealing with that. I have a, a list of a, a number of items that we can find in First and Se- First and Second Corinthians, First Corinthians 16, Second Corinthians 8 and 9, uh, and Romans chapter 15 that have to do with some principles of giving. I mean, that's a part of the whole thing that's going on in this part of Paul's missionary tour, giving, convincing, teaching, and loving on the churches there in Asia as well as in, in Greece to send funds to the church in need in Jerusalem. And, and so some of those, some of those things, I'll, I'll just mention them very, very quickly. Um, these are some of the, the, the principles and attitudes of giving written in these letters. Um, they, are to write, they are to give regularly, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, also in the same verse, as one prospers. 2 Corinthians 8.2, with liberality. 8.3, beyond ability. 8.3, freely willing. And 2 Corinthians 8.5, giving of self to the Lord first. Uh, verses 6 and 7 of, of the 8th chapter. It's a, it is a grace. Verse 8 is an act of love. Verse 9, it's a, uh, Jesus is our pattern. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8.19, as well as 9.13, it is the glory of the Lord. It is to the glory of the Lord. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 5 of 2 Corinthians, it is a matter of generosity. Also, verse 5, it's not a matter of grudging or obligation. Verse 6, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, one is to give as he purposes in his heart. Uh, he's not to give grudgingly. Also, verse 7, verse 7 also, not to give of necessity. Verse 7 also, he's to give cheerfully. Uh, verse 8, God gives the grace. He gives the, the, the sufficiency, and he gives the abundance to complete the work of giving. Also, uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9, uh, verse 8 of chapter 9, 
Um, I just did that one, sorry. 2 Corinthians 9, 11, and 12 causes thanksgiving to be given to God. And then in Romans 15, 27, those who partake of other spiritual things have a duty to minister to them in material things. And I would just say, that's just a real quick rundown. Those verses, well, I, I noticed that there wasn't a, a sheet in here. Where's the color? You do have it? I didn't have it. Praise the Lord. Good. At the bottom of that sheet, all these verses are listed for you on, on, the, on the giving verses. Take a look at them later. And, and I just encourage you to, to consider these things as you open your heart to the Lord in this area of your own ministry for him. So as we look at these things, you know, uh, again, the, the giving is the nature of this whole thing. We're going to see here in the coming verses a very interesting in, uh, incident in verse, in verse 6 and forward. And then Paul say, goes to Miletus where he calls the Ephesian elders to come join him. And then we see the things that he says later in chapter 20 to those Ephesian elders. It's a very, very powerful chapter in the New Testament. Looking forward to those things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, that you teach us the reality of the nature of this world, the uproars that we experience, the blessings that you give to us, the protection that you give us through your word, that we are set apart through your word, and just the reality of this spiritual warfare that we're a part of. But also, there are, in the difficulties of it all, we're called to help one another even as a churches in Macedonia and Achaia, as well as in Asia, sent help to the church in Jerusalem. We are here to care for one another, to weep as others weep around us, to rejoice when others are being blessed, Lord, and thank you for that. And I, I want to thank you, Lord, for the ministry of, of this, your church, to me personally at this time in my life. It's just an example of the way that we do this, of the kindness that is shown, the support that is shown, the love that is shown, the prayers that are prayed, the, the gifts that, is, that are given in different forms, whatever it may be. Thank you, Lord, for that. And might we continue. Might we continue to be a source of your blessing to one another. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your love. And might we be what the church is supposed to be. And might we be a witness to others around us as we love each other. All will see that we are your disciples, your followers, because we love one another. Be glorified in it all, we pray. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.